the first to say it, but happy Father's Day today. Uh, for all the dads in the audience, let's just give a, a round of applause and uh, maybe you can turn to someone next to you or behind you and say happy Father's Day. You might have seen the email this week. Uh, we aren't having VBS here, but there's a VBS opportunity online. If you are interested, this is the week from Monday to Thursday. There's a slide, Wow VBS. Go to wowvbs.live. You can do it any time during the day, and it restarts every hour on the hour. So if you've got some kids at home, you're looking for something uh, to do this week, and uh, this, this is an opportunity to be in the Word, to be encouraged, and to uh, have a VBS experience with your kids at home. So, wowvbs.live. Welcome. Good to see so many here in person. Good to know you're seeing us online uh, as well this morning as we continue our series in Matthew. And the title we've got today is called Getting Back to 2020. And so I think, you know, a lot of us want to see 2020 go away. I remember seeing a lot of comments at the end of 2019. Good riddance, 2019. Welcome, 2020. But, you know, I think probably nobody really knew what 2020 held for us. And so they might not have said that if they had. But today, when I say getting back to 2020, I don't mean the year 2020, but I mean 2020 vision. Because the subject today is seeing clearly. And we uh, had a couple weeks ago in chapter 6 of Matthew, uh, Pastor Steve brought out uh, what we had in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And that was in the context of where our treasure is. And so what we want is to be able to see clearly where our treasure is. And we're going to get some help on that this morning here um, in chapter 7. But in our efforts to see clearly, stuff gets in our eyes. It might be covetousness, might be you know, treasures on earth might be our health, might be sin of various natures uh, that interfere with our ability to see clearly where our kingdom is. And the subject of Matthew predominantly is the kingdom of God. And so let's review a minute uh, where we're at. Uh, we've been, I'm just going to go back to chapter 5 because we're coming into the third and final chapter of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount, he sat down, which was a symbol that he was speaking with authority. He was speaking as one that could give truth, not just as one that could talk about truth. And so he sat down and he taught. And he started out with uh, a series in, in chapter 5 of statements, Blessed are, in and he went through these, these statements, blessed are, you know, pure in heart, uh, poor in spirit, meek, and all of the blessings that they received. And so then he went into, you are the salt, you are the light. And so he was speaking about different character traits of people in this kingdom. Then he moved on to speak about the law. And he said, you've heard it said this, but I say this. And he took the, the outward manifestations of the law that would show in people, and he took it to the heart level. 
So he showed him it's not just because you didn't physically kill somebody that you're not a murderer. It's because you don't have hate in your heart. And the words that you say to them are not hateful. And then he went through several of the commandments that way. And then he goes into a series of statements where he says, when you do this, and he talks about different spiritual disciplines, fasting, praying, giving. When you do it, don't do it for man, but do it for your father. So we heard about that as well, that the things that we do, we do with reference to our father. And this is Father's Day. And so I would just encourage you, if you are a father, or maybe you don't really have a good father, you can look at chapter 6, and you can actually you can look through this whole sermon that Jesus gives to see what kind of father you have in God, what kind of father he wants to be to you today. And so we can trust him, and we can, we can look to him, and we can do all that we do in reference to our good, good father. So uh, let's just pray. Father, we thank you as we come to you today, sitting in your presence, opening your word, listening to the words of your son to us. Just make your message clear to us, I pray. I pray that you would, your spirit would be at work in me, that your spirit would be at work in each one of us here, each one listening online, that we would know your heart better, that we would know the way that we should interact with each other better, and that we would truly be uh, marked by the characteristics of your kingdom. So I just ask your blessing on the reading of your word now in your name. Amen. So maybe I'll just ask you, if you would, to just stand while we read the first six verses of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Don't give dogs what is holy, and don't throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Okay, so the very first word, you can have a seat if you'd like, or you can continue to stand. Um, very first word here is judge, and judge has a, a broad range of meanings, anywhere from punishment for wrongdoing to discerning what's true and false. And so I think we kind of need to look at the context here. And I'm guessing maybe when you heard me read, judge not lest you be judged, you had one of three reactions maybe. I'm not judging anybody, but you might have heard that and you heard judge not that you be not judged. But you know what? You might be taking that out of context because we are supposed to judge. I can prove it from the Bible. You know, maybe that, that, maybe that was your first reaction. Uh, maybe your first reaction was, preach it, brother. I'm tired of being judged. I'm tired of hearing people judge other people. I, I don't want to hear it anymore. Or maybe you're in that, whoops, 
the third camp that says, um, I think it's nap time. <laughs> so I hope not. I hope we can all listen to the Word of God. And there's, there's other categories, too. I don't want to put everybody into three categories. Um, maybe you were just waiting to, to hear a discussion of this passage before you jumped to any conclusion. But I think we'll see here that judging in this context is looking at somebody and seeing uh, what's the matter with them without really caring. Okay, so maybe we could say seeing without serving is sinning, and Jesus speaks against doing that. And just as with um, the other things that he says in his sermon, he takes it from this is what you don't want to do, and this is how you do want to do it. And so Jesus follows that pattern here, I think we'll see. Um, I read a quote by Lecrae, some of you know who he is, but he, he wrote this week, if we aren't going to serve our neighbor, woe to us for standing by critiquing him. So I think that's the sense of judge here, and I think we'll see that as we work our way through these uh, next few verses. So let's, let's just do that. And uh, he starts out with this statement, do not because. So don't judge, don't criticize, critique, condemn, because you'll be judged by the same standard that you use to judge. And I just want to make one little side comment here too because sometimes we think the only thing we're allowed to judge others for is judging others. I, I was sitting next to a conversation one time, and it's not anybody you guys know, so you don't need to be trying to figure that out. But, and uh, somebody had said something, and the other person felt judged by what they said. And so he responded, he said, you know, I have a lot of sin in my life. There's a lot of things I, I don't do right. Um, but one sin I have never done, and that's to be judgmental of others. And what you're doing is being judgmental. Okay? <laughs> See what he did? <laughs> he judged her. Right? So sometimes we think there's only one sin I'm not capable of, and you're doing it. You know, so... And it's judging you. <laughs> so if we sit in judgment of those who sit in judgment, we're sitting in judgment. And so we might fall into that category uh, of that word that Jesus says, hypocrite, right? But keep that in mind. And so uh, Jesus says here, with the judgment that you pronounced, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use on others it'll be measured to you. So, the, um, I think the sense of that could be twofold. One is sometimes in this life, as Christians, God allows experiences or allows us to be treated really the way we've treated others. And um, an incident like that came to mind in my own life where there was a time where I felt that certain uh, church behaviors were very, very important. And a friend had de deviated from that. And I felt that the appropriate response was to socially remove her from our lives. Okay, so I thought that was the right thing to do, and I did it, and it hurt her badly. Well, over time, I did the same thing she did. And I experienced the same thing she did. My first reaction was, 
they shouldn't treat me that way and to argue and to fight. And then I was reminded, oh, I did that. I did the same thing. I thought it was right. They probably think it's right too. And so I got out pen and paper, wrote a letter, said, I'm sorry. Sorry I did the wrong thing. And I got such a gracious letter back. (laughs) Oh, I forgave you a long time ago. You were just trying to do what you thought was right, and I'm so happy you don't think that's right anymore. But you were forgiven a long time ago. And that was just so both refreshing and condemning. But see, God allowed me to be judged the way I had judged. And so there came a time very shortly where I no longer felt that judgment from others. And they came to me and they said the same thing I said to her. Sorry, we thought that was the right thing. We don't think that's the right thing anymore. And I was able to say, oh, you're forgiven. (laughs) You were doing what you thought was right. And so God used that judgment that I used on somebody else back on me to bring me in alignment with his attitude towards me and his heart towards me. And I thank God for that because I was able to judge that self-righteous thought in my heart before I had to come to this day. That So that's one way I think we experience it in this life. God allows circumstances to come about that, that convict us of the way we've treated other people. But 2 Corinthians 5, it says we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And it says in 1 Corinthians 3, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. So even believers, our works are going to be judged at some point in time by Christ. And thankfully, the ones that are not of God are going to be burned up. And we'll never see them again or hear of them again. But we're going to be safe because we are sheltered by the blood and forgiveness of Jesus. But there is a day coming called the judgment seat of Christ that our works will be judged. So praise God if he allows circumstances in this life to change our thinking and to realize that that we are bringing unjust judgment on others because we can enjoy the freedom of being set Free from that. So then he, in verse 3, Jesus goes on and he says, asks this question, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye? But don't notice the log in your own eye. And I, I have a log up here. Maybe, maybe you saw that. And so imagine this being in my eye. And where's my speck? I have a speck here somewhere. I had, to, I had to tape it to paper so I wouldn't lose it because it's small, right? And this speck is a piece of this log. But you know what? Would you rather have this log in your eye or the speck in your eye? Hard question, right? Because I've had specks in my eye and it really debilitated me. I'm a little bit of a wimp, but I just, I didn't enjoy it, you know? And when we have our vision blurred when we have sin in our lives, no matter how small we or somebody else might think it is, it's debilitating. That's not how God intended us to live. But if I have a log in my eye, how effective am I going to be at seeing the speck in your eye? And we'll get into a little bit more detail on that later, but Jesus says, why do you see that then? Okay, you've got this big log in your eye. Why, why do you even see that? 
Well, I think he answers it. He says in verse 5, you hypocrite, okay? And so we, I think, probably all of us have this tendency to be able to see something wrong with someone else a little bit easier than we can see the same thing or something bigger wrong in ourselves. And so Jesus addresses all of us, not just the Pharisees who were really very good at this. You know, they could catch a couple committing adultery and they they would only bring the woman to Jesus. And when Jesus prompted, okay, think about your life. Are you free from sin? Are you in a good place to judge this woman? And when they started thinking about that, one by one, they all had to leave. They were hypocrites, but I think the same way in my heart naturally. Right? And I, I look to God to grow in that, to, to see and address myself accurately. So then, perhaps the answer to why is because of the hypocrisy in themselves. And Jesus is continuing this message of what's in your heart is what's important. See, being part of the kingdom of God is to have a heart change to have your affections, your goals and desires to be in heavenly places where we're seated with Jesus at the right hand of God, Ephesians tells us. And so knowing that in our hearts changes our perspectives and our view on our sin and others' sin. So then um, Jesus goes on and he asks another question. Back in verse 4, he says, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. Okay, so he says, don't do this because of that. Why can you see this? You can't see that. Now he says, how can you help your brother take out a speck? So here, there might not even be this thought of, well, I'm going to judge you. I think I'm better than you. But it's like, you've got a problem and let me help you fix it. But I'm blind. I'm injured and I can't see but I'm going to do some delicate work in your eyes. I don't know about you, but I don't like people getting close to my eyes with anything. And much less if they can't see, you know, or much less if they can't even figure out how to get a log out of their own eyeball. I don't really want them getting this little speck out of my eye. And so that's an important consideration for us too. You know, if, if we have sin or if we have misaligned goals, if we have idolatry in our own lives, it's going to be impossible for us to help somebody else with that. Sometimes we do that in, in ways that maybe seem gracious. Like we say, well, it's okay, we're, we're all sinners. Which is true. You know, it's a good attitude to not think more highly of myself than anyone else. But it's not okay if there's sin in someone's life. It's not okay if they have bad habits. It's not okay if they're not in communion with God. We need to be able to help each other. But like Jesus says, how? How can you help your brother if you haven't even been able to help yourself? And we don't really help ourselves, but allow God to help yourself with these issues. You know, I had an issue in my own life. And, you know, I would think I dealt with it. I would repent, be sorrowful, and I think it was taken care of, live free from it, 
and it come back. And it kept doing this. And finally, it came appropriately into the light. And one of the things I knew I had to do was find a brother that could help me with this. You know, so I did. I, I found a brother, I prayed about it, and approached him, explained the situation, and he said something. He said, wow. He said, I, I, haven't, I haven't had that weakness. He said, I, I, I have that temptation in my heart, I know that, but I haven't carried it out. You know, I was so thankful that I found that brother because right from the first conversation I had with him, he was able to tell me ways to shut off those pathways in my life and, and help me, along with other factors, to walk in liberty and joy and feel free from that sin and feel free from that speck, log, whatever you might assess it to be and to have a more clear vision of my Savior. So what a blessing if we've allowed God and we've received help from other brothers and sisters to take the speck out of our eye. What a relief to not have that speck in my eye. But then we can see clearly now. We can see clearly and we can help others. And it's not a matter of pride. It's a matter of the joy of the freedom, liberty of the Spirit that we can help others enter into in their own lives. So then he goes on in verse uh, 5. He says, First, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your eyes out of your brother's eye. So here we're talking about our brother here. And so there's this process. First, take it out of your eyes. And you know, when you have something in your eye, you might feel a pain from it, but you might not know what it is. And you might not be able to see clearly, but you, when you can't see clearly, sometimes you can't get to the right place for help either. And so um, Psalm, and I, it, it comes in, in different places where David says this, but Psalm 139, uh, Jesus says, Search me, O God, and know my heart, and see if there's any wicked way in me. So we are not going to be able to see everything as God sees it without his help. And that prayer prayed honestly, God will answer. Search me, O God, know my heart. Our hearts are deceitful. We can even be deceived ourselves by our very own hearts. And so we need to go before God, the one that knows our hearts and the one that can speak to our hearts, and have him search us and show us, is there a wicked way in me? And then through his spirit, maybe we can also find a brother or sister that can help us with this. But that's the first step. Then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus doesn't say, just leave the speck in your brother's eye. Mind your own business. In the church, we are expected to be a help to one another. And um, we get that, again, well, I'll, I'll just bring it up on the screen there. I think we're there. Yeah, Galatians 6. So uh, verses 1 and 2, and I'll just read that to us because I think we see Paul 
giving a little bit more detail on what Jesus is saying here when he says, remove the log from your own eye that you might be able to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So Galatians chapter 6, it says in verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So this, I don't think when it says that if a brother is caught in sin or transgression, I don't think it means caught you. You know, I, I knew you were doing something, and now I caught you, and I got you right where I need you. No, I think it, it get, bears the thought of being caught in a trap, because sin is a trap. Sin brings us out of the liberty that Jesus bought for us, and it brings us into the bondage that we were in before we placed our trust in him. So if we're caught up in that, what a blessing that a brother can come. And it, it doesn't say just anyone. It says you who are spiritual. And I think that aligns to what Jesus was saying. First take the log out of your own eye. If you don't know the power of the Word of God and the Spirit of God in my own life, I'm not going to be able to apply it to yours accurately. And so you who are spiritual, I believe, indicates those who are in tune with the Spirit of God and walking in the liberty of the Spirit and the freedom of the Spirit. And so then it says, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. It doesn't say judge him in a right judgment, but restore him. So the goal of all of this is not to put somebody in their right place. It's to bring somebody to their true place before God, restored to that full communion, to being led by the Spirit of God, to being motivated by the Word of God, and to be in that freedom and liberty and that clearness of vision that sees who God is and who I am in Christ and lives in alignment with that. So, Restoring him is the goal. A spirit of gentleness is the manner, is the way. You know, we don't want somebody that's going to roughly grab a speck out of our eye with the tweezers. <laughs> you know, a hard piece of metal poking in to grab that speck. It's going to do more damage than the speck did, right? So a spirit of gentleness. And then with this attitude that we're bearing one another burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ, which if we were to go back to chapter 7 and 6 and remind ourselves, Jesus is talking about how we fulfill the law of Christ. It's a matter of our hearts being in alignment with our Father. So, again, I would say, you know, seeing a fault, seeing without serving is sinning. God expects us to help one another with our faults and our failures and to be helped. What a blessing when a brother or sister approaches me who has seen a speck that they know how to deal with in a godly way and they, they in love want to help me. So we need to consider that too because one of, you know, one of my probably uh, predominant sins is pride and I really don't like it if somebody thinks I'm less than perfect. I mean, that, that's terrible. What a terrible sin <laughs> that I have naturally in my heart. And so if you come to me and say, Bob, you've got this problem and I think I could help you with it. 
by the Word of God and the Spirit of God, my first reaction is, really? You, you know, and that's terrible. What a terrible thing. I, I don't, I, I, I don't want to go on through life with a speck or a log in my eye and the misery that that brings. And so God is gracious, and, and he's shown me a lot of ways. Um, sometimes he's had to humiliate me. Sometimes he's more gently humbled me. Uh, and that's my prayer, that he would gently humble me without completely humiliating me. But it's better in the end that that happens and that speck or that log can be removed. So moving on then, verse 6. Uh, what about the dogs and the pigs here? So I, I struggled with that. And I'm still not, you know, I, I kind of get the idea of what Jesus is saying. But I'm not sure... Does this go along with the first five verses? Is it just kind of this independent thought? And so this morning, I'm going to give it to you both ways, okay? Because I think there's a way that it can fit right along with what we've been talking about with regard to judgment. And um, in that sense, so dogs, other places in the New Testament, dogs are referred to as evildoers, uh, in Revelations, it talks about evildoers as dogs. Uh, Philippians 3, verse 2, talks about evildoers and calls them dogs. And then Second Peter also talks about them as those that try to do things on their own. Uh, talks about pigs in that way, too. You know, you can wash up a pig, but it's still a pig. It's going to go back to the mud. It's going to get dirty again. And so I believe that dogs and pigs are those who are unbelievers, Okay, so the first five verses was talking about relationships between brothers. And now Jesus brings in unbelievers. Well, what does, uh, what does the Bible say about judging unbelievers? 1 Corinthians 5. Uh, Paul tells the church in Corinth, what do I have to do to judge those that are outside the church? God judges those that are unbelievers. We judge within the church and help one another out within the church in that way. So we can fall into this temptation of going out in the world and speaking judgment into people's lives. Now, it's important that part of the gospel message is that we're, we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But if all we're marked by is going into this world and saying, this is sin, that's sin, you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be doing that, and I want you to change your behavior, and I'm not introducing you to Jesus and the heart of my Father that reached out in grace and mercy to me, even though, yes, I was a son of disobedience and a child of wrath. If we're not leading with that, then the world is going to react this way. See, not only um, does the pig trample the precious thing underfoot, but then it says it turns and attacks you. So there may be times where I think, boy, I am being, I'm suffering as a Christian because I stood up for the truth. And they didn't like the truth, and so they went after me. Well, it could be that I went after them, and I didn't bring the full truth to them. And I stopped short of the grace and mercy of God, so all they saw is me who, hey, you, you've done that too. 
You know, what are you, what are you doing talking to me? Isn't, isn't this just as bad as that? And so on. And so then I've taken that judgment that I should be allowing God to apply to me and that should be used for blessing and clear vision in others. And I've turned people's hearts against the truth and against me. And they're not going to value it because it's not grace and truth. It's not, here's a problem and here's a solution that you need so much. So that's, that's one, one way that I think this could be taken that kind of flows with this passage on judgment. Another thing is that when we approach unbelievers with the truth of God, Jesus, you know, when he stood before the chief priests and scribes, they said, by what authority are you cleaning the temple out? What business do you have cleaning the temple out? So Jesus' response was not to say, well, God is my father. I'm God the son. This is my father's house. He sent me to do his work, and I'm doing his work. You've messed up this place. I'm the one responsible for cleaning it up, and that's why I'm doing it. He didn't say that. He said, well, let me ask you a question first. John the Baptist, you know John the Baptist. You refused him. Where was his authority from? Well, they wouldn't answer because it was politically charged. Either answer either made them unpopular on one hand or condemned them on the other hand. They didn't want to be unpopular or condemned. So they said, well, we just can't tell. And so Jesus' response was, well, then I'm not going to tell you by what authority I do these things either. Okay, so Jesus tested their hearts and he saw they're not real. They don't want the answer to this question. They're dogs and pigs. I'm not going to put this precious truth that I am God the Son, made flesh, in God incarnate, dwelling among them in my Father's house here, setting things right. He didn't put that, that precious truth, that precious pearl in front of them. Jesus also, when he sent out the 72 disciples, he said, you go to a town and you preach the kingdom of God. If they refuse it, shake off the dust of your feet and move to the next town. Now, there's, there's something to be said for persistence. I don't know how anybody knows this, but I've heard that somebody has to hear the gospel maybe eight to ten times of people that get saved. They've heard it eight to ten times before they receive it. So we do need persistence with the good news of God. But, you know, there is a point where we need to walk away from that situation and leave the truth of God with the Spirit of God to work on that individual. And so Jesus says, go to the next town then. When, you're, when your word is rejected there, go to the next town because you are not going to get everywhere before I return. And so I don't want you to get bogged down on this town that is going to persecute you and not listen to you, who has rejected you, because there's more, there are more souls that need to hear the good news of God's gospel. And I think that may be another application of, the, of this verse Uh, verse 6. So, seeing without serving is sinning. And I want to look a minute, because we talked about there's, there are different um, meanings of the word judgment. One is to bring the punishment of God against sin. 
Another is to see where there's a problem, right? And, and be able to discern good from bad and point that out. And also to be able to help remove the speck from our brother's eye. And so as I considered this, uh, my, my mind and heart went to Jesus as he's depicted in Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5 is a very, if you could turn there with me, um, we're going to end there. It's a, it's a very glorious scene, but there's um, something going on here. There's a, a scroll that's written and it's sealed with seven seals. And if you continue to read in chapter 6, you find out those seals are God's judgment against this world. And so there's this question. It says um, in verse 2 of Revelation 5, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Or maybe I, I can paraphrase that. Who's worthy to be the judge? Who is worthy to be the judge? And no one in heaven on, or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look onto, into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. That's Jesus. Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and so he says in verse 6, between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Jesus, our Savior, who was slain on the cross. And then it, it gives some more symbolic language of seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went, in verse 7, and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Now listen to this, and remember that these scrolls are the judgment of God to be poured out on this earth. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for or because you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Because Jesus was slain on the cross. And you know, Jesus on the cross, he took this log. The scriptures tell us he was made sin for us. The scriptures tell us he bore our sins in his body on the cross. That log was put, if we could put it in the language of Matthew 7, was put squarely in the eye of Jesus. And that's, that log is made up of the sins of every individual who has put their trust in Jesus. And he took them all. And he overcame. He conquered. He conquered sin. He conquered death. 
He took that log back out of his eye, if you will, and he rose victorious on the third day, conqueror of sin. And that made him worthy to redeem me, to take that speck, if you will, to take the sin that just permeated me out of me onto himself, to give me clear vision, to know God as my Father, to have my heart changed, to have my treasure placed in heaven, to be seated at the right hand of Jesus in the heavenly places, secure in Christ. Jesus' work on the cross made it possible for him to redeem me, to remove my sin, to make me holy and fit to sit in the very presence of God without fear. And that's what he wants to do for each one of us this morning. If you don't know that Jesus is your Savior, that Jesus died for you, that he completely, completely destroyed the power of death and sin, and you can come under the shelter of his work on the cross, if you don't know that this morning, if you haven't considered that this morning, I just pray that you would consider it, that you would receive his work. We read in Romans 10 that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. If you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's, it's kind of as simple as that. Jesus is Lord. He has authority over me. I want him to have authority over me. I believe he died. I believe he died for my sins. Every one of my sons, and I accept that he completely and fully paid the price for my sins so that I don't have to face the judgment of God. And it, it, it's, it's that simple, really. The transaction is that simple for you to come to Jesus and to become part of that kingdom and to become a priest to God. Now, there's another aspect of this judgment here. And it's the judgment of God against sin. And the only person that was worthy, that will be worthy to pour out the judgment of God against sin is the one who has, if you will, removed the log from his own eye. And so heaven and earth and under the earth were searched for one who was worthy to carry that out. And the only one worthy judging sin is Jesus. That's important for us to know as we look at this world around us and we might tend to get punishment, judgment on our mind. You know, I want to see some punishment here. I want to see some judgment here. We're not worthy. We can't touch it. I, I think of the, you know, when, when Daniel's friends were told, bow down to this idol or be burned in the furnace, they didn't bow down, and so the guards came, and they went to throw them into the furnace, and the furnace of judgment was so hot that the guards died. Daniel's friends survived because of God's intervention, but the judgment of God is too hot for us to handle, if I could say it that way. So we don't want to take that up. We do want to, but we don't. <laughs> we don't. And there's only one who is worthy to take that up, and he will take it up. And so, if you have not allowed Jesus to take that sin from your eye and give you spiritual vision, there will be a day when you will be the object 
of this judgment poured out by Jesus. Jesus said, God, my Father, has put judgment into my hands. And you'll know him as judgment. You will bow to Jesus as Lord. And I pray that you do it joyfully today while you can and you experience the freedom and the vision and the hope and the brightness of knowing Jesus as your Savior. You know, we're going to, the band is going to come up and sing a couple more songs, I believe. And then uh, during this time, we will take, you have your chair, or if you're at home, perhaps you've gotten uh, some bread and some juice. And we're going to take it to remember Jesus' body. The bread, Jesus said, is my body given for you. The, The juice symbolizes his blood shed for us. So he has brought us into relationship with him. And those of us that know the Lord Jesus as our Savior, we can do this this morning and be reminded that Jesus took the log of my sins and he removed it. And so by faith in him and trusting him, submitting to his lordship, I am brought into freedom. Freedom from judgment. Freedom to grow. Freedom to be sanctified. To become one who bears those character traits of his kingdom saints. Let's just pray and give thanks for the the bread and the juice and for the work of Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for this bread. Thank you for your body in which you bore our sins on the cross. Thank you for your blood shed for us. Thank you that you've given us clear sight by faith in you. I pray that we would have the mindset of seeking help and being helpful to one another and setting our eyes on things above and seeing clearly where our treasure is. I just thank you for the opportunity to worship you together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I failed to mention I was asked to announce at the beginning (laughs) that Iowa Bible Camp starts today. So that would be a good thing to have in your prayers, uh, that the, the gospel would be effective in the lives of the kids there and um, that there would be safety and health among the campers there at Iowa Bible Camp. Thank you.
We're going to sing one final song together this morning. As we do that, uh, some of the ushers will be by to uh, dismiss you, release you outside. And uh, that is a great spot. It's a beautiful day to uh, visit and uh, catch up with each other and uh, enjoy the fellowship afterwards. So we'll sing this final song together.
again, thank you for coming. We look forward to seeing you back next week.